This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. It is a tremendous cover to have Rav Aaron Lapiansky Shlita here with us this evening. Rav Aaron is the Rosh Hashiva of Yeshiva Astaferis Gedalia of Greater Washington. Rav Aaron learned for decades in Mir Yerushalayim and follows the Messiah of his Rabbeim, Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, Rav Nachum, and his father-in-law, Rav Benish Zatzal. His approach to learning is also deeply influenced by his incredible Kesher as a close Talmud of Rav Moshe Shapiro Zatzal. The Rosh Hashiva is also a renowned speaker and the author of several Svarim, as well as many English language books, among them the widely acclaimed Archas Chaim, Ben Torah for Life. I personally have had the opportunity to hear the Rosh Hashiva speak on numerous occasions. It's always enjoyable, informative, and extremely inspiring. It is quite humbling to be standing up here together with the Rosh Hashiva, and it is truly an honor to be able to be part of this keynote. Before we begin our Q&A, I would like to ask the Rosh Hashiva to please deliver opening remarks addressing the avoda and mission of a Bentaira in the workplace. Um, I, I'm a mere alumni myself uh, from the older, older, older generation. So it's part of me is here as a mishtatif. Just maybe a, a word or two about a, a general picture. There's a saying from the Balatanya, as a menstaf levimitizait. People need to live with contemporary life which he would interpret to mean Parshas HaShavua. Um, at first glance, one would find it hard to find something in the Parsha, but the truth is that there is a, a point in the Parsha that addresses, describes so well what we are, what's our Avaida. The Chalukah Sa'aretz was done in a strange way. You had the Urim Vitumim, you had Ruach HaKadosh declaring who gets what, and you had a girl drawn. And then the girl would yell out, I belong to this one. So it was a lot of, lot of things uh, for, one of the three would have been enough. Why didn't Moshe say with Ruach HaKadosh, with Nevoah? It was there anyway. Why did you need to have a girl as well? So I think the pshat is the Chalukah Sa'aretz was a nexus from one type of Anhaga to another type of Anhaga. Living in the Midbar was really a, a bubble, not shy to this world. Nevuah, al Hashem al Yisu, was the Hanhaga. Hashem spoke, and that was it. Eretz Yisrael, the Yishem Eretz Yisrael, was a combination of people living a mundane life and yet understanding that it's also Pi Hashem. A girl 
is something that seems potluck. It doesn't seem to be coming from anywhere. It's a random occurrence. And the random occurrence itself had to testify that this is no less Dvar Hashem than when all you have is Dvar Hashem. It was simultaneous, two Hanhagas that walked hand in hand. The Ruach HaKodesh said, and the Geirul said. The Geirul seems random, and it said the same thing that the Ruach HaKodesh said. Life is random, or it seems random to us. Sitting in a base medrash, there's a sense of a clear Dvar Hashem. What's the halacha? What's the best way to do something? How can you be alatzada yoisatayv? It's a certain bubble that strives for a certain perfection. Life has in itself constant random events where you have to match up things through gairo. And the job of the transition is that the girl itself speak and say, this is what I'm meant to be. The girl seems random, and the girl also begins to branch out. In the Midbar, everyone except for Shevet Levi had the same Anhaga. In Eretz Yisrael, everyone had a different piece, a different place, a different location. The life that most of us here are engaged in is that life. A lot of different events that are very hard to pinpoint exactly what's Advar Hashem. It's also everyone's life is different. In yeshiva, we're learning the same mesechta, working on the same inyanim, doing the same things. Now we begin to diversify. And everyone's goal is very different. The job, our job is that the goal should echo the Dvar Hashem. It's hard, a lot of times it's confusing, a lot of times it's perplexing. But the real Avaida is the transition where at the end of the road, the pure Dvar Hashem of Nevoah, Ruach HaKodesh, and the, and, the, and the Dvar Hashem that comes out from the Gairolas say the same thing, speak in the same voice, and both testify to the same Emes. Bez Hashem, that should be Chalkeinu, that should be Goraleinu. Thank you, Rashiva. Um, okay, we'll get right into it. Um, throughout our years in Yeshiva, it was always clear to us that our role models are our Rabbeim and Rashi HaYeshiva. Once a young man leaves the Kaisle HaYeshiva and enters the workforce, what should a role model in the world of business look like? So I would say two nikudis regarding that. Let's take a Marshall in Yeshiva itself. There is a Rosh Yeshiva that might be the one to help you with Pshat in Reb Chaim. A person then is looking for advice in a Shidduch or something. It may be the same person or it may be somebody who has that ability to see and understand what's needed for a Torah de It's not always the same 
person. Finding a Rebbe who has the same core values and ideals, but also understands how to apply it, the way a Pesach understands how to apply um, a sugya to Lemaisa. So identifying a person like that is very critical to having a Rebbe going forward. And secondly, I would say to look around and find a person who is in the business world and his personage and everything about him is an example. It's good when you have a living example of somebody who's in the same rough world and, and, and works in the same playing field that I work on and yet is, is holds himself above it. Looking for that, I think, is also very helpful. Okay, and I, I guess a, a, a follow-up to that would be, can the Rashiva please talk about the importance of maintaining a relationship with one's Rebbe that he had in yeshiva? What role can the Rebbe play in one's life after he leaves yeshiva? And the second part to that question is, as young men start to move into new communities and they join kehillahs and they join shuls, now they have a rav. A rav becomes much more accessible to them than, than perhaps their rebbe who might be living in Eretz Yisrael or just might not be as accessible. Um, so would it make sense for them to, to spend more time on trying to develop a kesher with the rav over their rebbe? Um, can Rashiba talk about that? So I guess two points regarding that. Even if a person's Rebbe Muvak in Yeshiva is not the person that can give him the practical aids, but as a demus of somebody who is what we're striving for, that I think a person should always keep. Um, let's take a simple example. There, there were people that asked Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky aids. I guess that they had more of a chesidish nature of like Ruach HaKodesh or Nevoah, but no matter what, seeing the demus of somebody who is really Kodesh Kadashim is a demus to cherish. You, you, the, the, the keeping a Kesher just so that a demus of somebody who is so beyond us but represents the ideal is important no matter what. Developing a Kesher with a Rav is very, that should be the ideal. There is a problem, a, a, a practical problem, and I'll, I'll phrase it. A person chooses a yeshiva based on a derech, a mahalach, a personality. We choose a shul, usually convenience, what, what's in walking distance, where are the chaverim daven. Not always does it mesh in a way where the rav could possibly become a personal guide. So it is more challenging. Um, hopefully, the, it, I think this is, this is our Doris challenge. We will have Rabbanim and many Rabbanim who can serve as that role. And definitely, if it's more accessible and you feel that the values and goals of that person matches what you want, that certainly is ideal. But keeping some Kesha of the ideal of, of the person who really is the Kodesh Kadashim is, is central to putting everything else in line. Um, how important is it, you know, we're presented with different opportunities when we start out in business and, you know, uh, Jewish companies, non-Jewish companies. How important is it to try to work in a firm environment? And if so, at what cost? 
So it's a little hard. I, I'm, I'm not part of that world. I, I don't understand fully the Nisionos and the opportunities and the problems and issues. So I, I need to disclaimer. In general, a person making decisions, and it's not only this decision, there'll be many decisions where down deep a person knows what the right decision is, but we have so many biases, so many things, so many negias that pushes this way or the other way. It could be the person is shy and afraid to tackle problems. It could be a person is blinded by titles and opportunities that he doesn't, is not to MS. Finding a mentor, ideally someone it, 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 someone who understands that world, is experienced, and has a sheer kaima ruchni to help, to help you think it through. What are you going to gain, and what's the real price you're going to pay? When we want something, we tend to minimize the issues, the challenges, and we tend to see the great, you know, how good it's going to be. That's, that's par for the course. That's negias. Being able to talk it over with a chaver who can help us realize where we're bending lines, where we're curving around issues because of our negias would be invaluable to make those decisions. So I guess, uh, again, continuing in the same line, uh, this is a question from one of the young guys that's really grappling with this problem. And he says, I find it surprising that from business owners make holiday parties that are not appropriate for B'nai Torah. I understand that a holiday party might be necessary for employee morale, but is there a way to do it in a way where B'nai Torah don't feel pressure to compromise their values? What can we say to the business owners about this, and what can we say to the firm employees that are expected to attend these events? So once again, I, I'm not familiar with the reality of it, but if you're upset, uh, depending obviously what your position is, where you are, what clout you have, you, offering an alternative model. When you tell somebody it's not good, you shouldn't do it this way, without telling a person what you should do, really gets results. If you can come along and say company X that has a wide, diverse body of employees does it this way, and everybody seems to be very happy, then it's much better chance of success. Coming with an ATSA that's worked someplace and, and, and has been done will probably go a lot further in getting results than saying it's pasnished, it's, it's wrong. It, just being negative about it usually won't get you far. Looking around and seeing what do other companies do in that position and how well does it work well, would probably help you a lot. Thank you. Okay, just pivoting a little bit. Um, Dafiyami participation is at an all-time high, with tremendously popular Balibatim giving sheer to thousands of listeners. On one hand, there's a need to cover ground in both Shas and other areas of learning, and a limit like Dafiyami certainly creates a hischaivas. At the same time, there's something special about harving over a sugya like we did when we learned in yeshiva. Just ask all of those who have attended the Mir Yarchekala. We come back on a high. So we all know the importance of being Kaveya Itim. The question is, what should a working man's day look like in terms of hours of learning and the type of limud he will be spending time on? This certainly um, varies widely with different people. But in the big picture, um, everyone needs to identify where is he learning halacha. 
and we know it all is wrong. Um, that someone who does not do the Shabbos is certainly going to be Mechal Shabbos. So I have to be identified where it is that I'm learning Halacha. Two, where is the time that I'm spending on Musr? Whether it's once a week, even if it's once a month, where is that time and how is it working? The rest of the time, obviously learning in a, in a, in a you know, Gemara, is, is really the, the, the meat and potatoes of it. But a person has to first recognize himself, do I do better when I have an outer structure? Like, I know myself, the first two days I'll be enthusiastic, the third day it's not gonna go. But if all the chevre go dafayomi and everybody looks at me and sees that you know, I'm kind of not showing up, that's social pressure keeps me going. The idea of learning a blot and making a CM keeps me going then that should be, if that's, if that's your prime motivation, that should be that. People who've, who do with beginners and they like the idea of knowing they know something and it accumulates the, the all sorts of smicha uh, chava program, things like that na- of that nature, then a person should do that. I, in other words, the main corpus of learning should be dictated by what will keep me mostly engaged in it. Different people have different geschmack. Yes, there is a person who well into his middle ages loves Eon and can, can, can persist with it. A week in the mirror, everyone comes back with a high. But if this is my constant learning, how well does it keep me engaged? It doesn't, there's no outer pressure. Some people will do amazingly well. Knowing yourself and, and, and learning from your experience what works, what doesn't work, should be the key to deciding the learning program for you. As far as um, the amount of hours, I mean, I know when I, when I, um, my own personal experience, when I left, um, when I left Kyle and I was coming back to work, I actually went to Rav Chaim to ask him his opinion on, on, you know, what my day should look like. And he said, L'chol ha-pachas, every single balabas has to learn four hours a day, two hours in the morning and two hours at night. Okay, this is a long time ago, maybe things changed, I don't know, but I'm curious the, the Rav Shiva's uh, opinion on, on just, just forget about the limud itself, but just time-wise? How, how many hours a day? The, the, the one thing that Einstein taught us was time is relative, and, and everyone has, you know, stretches and, and two twins. That was his, his, his classic case, was two twins take off, and one ages, one doesn't age because of, of the distance in time. Um, I would say a lot more is to be honest with which identifying where there's time that's not productive, and how much can I really handle productively? The, if a person is going to force himself to slosh around a lot of time that's not going, it, it'll, it, everything will, will fall apart. If a person can identify small chunks of time uh, through the day, through the week, and, and make firm storm things that really f- push him to do it, I think that's a better direction to go than just hours. Um, it, it's diff- people have very different natures. And it's very, very hard to, to say that everyone can plunk down two hours in the morning, two hours at night. If, you know, it's, it's, it's both y- your business setup and your personality. Some people have a hard time yeshiva putting down four hours. That's, you know, it's, uh, so it's... Uh okay. Um, 
How does one approach wanting to be super successful in business? Is there a time when someone should say, okay, I have enough to live on, I have enough to, I have enough to live even nicely, you know, now it's time to close the store. Let me, uh, you know, let me spend more time in, in learning or let me spend more time in Escanas. Um, how, how does, you know, it seems that a lot of, a lot of young people are, are grappling with that. Like how much, um, you know, at what point do we say enough is enough? And just this, a second part to that question is, um, even if you have enough to live on, but as Balabatim, you know, when, you, when you're in the business world and you have an opportunity to, to get involved in Askanis and you're giving a lot of tzedakah, so obviously there's no end to that because the more money you make, the more tzedakah you can give. So I guess we'll, we'll look at those two questions together. I once heard, it's very interesting, there was a, a certain person um, who, as a younger man, he left, he left Colonel very, very early. He was very excited to get into business. He had a great opportunity. And he left after a year in Kolol. He did extremely well. Um, some years were difficult years in terms of Ruchnius. And at some point in his midlife, he became, he, he got re-engaged in learning. And he liked it. And his business had done extremely well, where he really, he didn't need for him or his children or children's children, he didn't need to do that anymore. And he asked two people who were in, in this person's town at, at, at fairly close. One was Moshe Shapiro, one was my brother, They both said the same bottom line, different nusach. But Moshe Shapiro told him, there's a Shevet Zvulun in Klayasol and a Shevet Yisacha. If you can be as good a Yisacha as you are a Zvulun, nobody has the right to tell you that you have to work to support someone else's yeshiva. But if you're an amazing zvulin and an okay yesacha, you don't have the right to decide to take the, the, the shortcut and, and become a yesacha. Um, I don't remember exactly words Rebbe told him, but it's very similar. A person needs to ask himself every so often, and different people have koiches. And a person needs to ask himself, um, if I have such amazing koach, do I have responsibility? In, in, in the, the phrasing of kind of, okay, I've had enough work, maybe I should dabble in askanis, dabble in learning, dabble in this. If a person doesn't feel a divine mission, that's not, that's not the way to go. A person has to ask himself, what does Akash Baruch want from me? What can I give to myself, to the tzibah, to Klai Yisrael. Not always easy to make the cheshben. It's hard. But making the cheshben itself is Avodah is, is Hashem. And, and I think putting aside time once a year, like an Elul, to take a night off to go someplace and sit between yourself and, and uh, Akadosh Baruch Hu and hash it out. What's driving me? What's motivating me? What would I be doing if not for this, or would I be doing this, that, or the other one? That's the that's something that's cheshman nefesh, and making the and cheshman trying to be as honest as possible is something that will I think help us get to the right place. If a person is honest with himself and he ponders it, Hakadosh Baruch Hu will give him the, the right understanding of, of how to go. Um, everyone who's outside enjoying the food, you're invited to come in and. Uh Maybe their topic is to enjoy the food. <laughs> I don't know. You know it's a, everyone's got a different topic. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, um, wrapping up here, last two questions. So um, Rashi and Marcus brings down a story about Rav Safra, who was davening Shema. Someone came and offered him a certain amount of money for an item. He couldn't answer, so the buyer took it as a refusal. And then he upped his offer. After he finished Shema, Rav Safra said, I'll sell it to you at your original offer, because even though I couldn't answer, I had to ask to accept that amount. Now, it's obvious that we have to be honest in business. That goes without saying. But how far are we mechiv to go? Do we have to go above and beyond? And I'll just give two examples that, that were brought up. Um, I mean, there's hundreds of examples, but just to, you know, to make it a little bit more real. One example would be is I'm selling a building in real estate, and in the contract I put in as is, which means it's the, it's the, seller, it's the buyer's responsibility to do his own diligence. I know there are things that might be wrong with the building, and am I mechiv to point out any issues that I know about even though it's totally the buyer's responsibility to do his due diligence. That would be one example. Another example would be, I paid a vendor and I noticed months later that he hasn't cashed the check. Should I point that out to him or can I just leave it alone? So just like Midas Hasidus, I mean, is Midas Hasidus, a person, it's, it's important that a person recognize what's the halacha, what's the b'yevet, What's the chatchila? What's the lifnim mishras adin? And what's shayach to tzaddik olam? And it's true in regular halacha. A person needs to recognize, to learn, to recognize what am I ready for? What should I push myself? What should I stay away from because it's pretentious? So having that type, and again, if a person has time for cheshvan nefesh, even once a year, make a list of all the items that you feel iffy about. And you ask yourself, what is it that you feel most strongly that you wish you would do differently? What, what, is, what, what sacrifice does it make? Are you ready to undertake it? Just the klal that the Chavetz Chaim writes, the Chavetz Chaim wrote a, a sefer for practical halacha for people that are far away, and he writes a mishpat. He tries to put chosh mishpat in a nutshell. And he brings the, most, the halachas that are most relevant and then he has a klal that I think is worth, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a great rule for determining the propriety of things. He says, if I, do, if I interact with somebody in a way that were I on the receiving end, I'd be upset with him, that's the chi I need to be honest to ask myself, if someone had pulled a deal like that on me, would I feel, it's okay, that's, yeah, that's, that's normal. Would I feel a little upset? Would I feel very upset? I think that's a very useful guide. It's a halacha. Chavetz Chaim writes it as a halacha. That's after a It means asking myself, were the tables reversed, how would I feel about it? And I think that can be a, that can be a guide for many, many of these situations. Okay, and finally, just for the Rashiva's closing remarks, um, uh, I guess two questions. No, number one, um, what is the number one issue that B'nai Taira entering the workforce come to the Rosh Hashiva with? And secondly, in a world that's so focused outwards on the likes and trends of others, how does one who is striving for success in business stay focused on what's really important? So, I, I mean, I think a lot of the issues you mentioned are issues that we speak about. But, uh, once again, having a definite period of time set aside where a person can recalibrate and ask himself 
it's very hard to know when a person steps out of base medish into the world because you don't know the world and you don't know yourself yet. You know yourself in the base medish, you don't know yourself in the world. Every year, a person goes through and he understands better. He understands his weaknesses, his strengths, he understands what he can accomplish. And being able to find that time that a person can recalibrate. What, what, is, what does Akash Baruch want from me? What are my responsibilities? I've said this a few times. I'll use the, the marshal that I used. By Yaakov Avinu, it says he went back for Pachim Ketanim. And it's, and it's presented as a mile on Yaakov. If you told somebody, you know, he forgot, he's, he came here from, from uh, Farakaway, and he forgot his pencil over there, and he went back to get it. We think the guy's, something's wrong with him. Yaakov Avina goes back, and he's, he's, um, and he's, uh, it's dangerous, and he's going back for Pachem Ketanim. Now, let's make a small change. You're somebody's trustee. So you're somebody entrusted you with something, and, and you were supposed to bring it for him, and you forgot. And you said, you know, he trusted me, and I'll bring it. I don't know how important it is, but this is my trust, and I'll do it. That's something that um, we, would, we would find somewhat laudable. We'd find it, it's, it's important. Yaakov Avinu lived with the sense that every penny, every moment of life, everything is entrusted to Nasa Baruch Hu. The, the, the real Din Bechesh is going to be, Akash Baruch is going to pull out the years, the talents, the opportunities, the assets we had, and ask, what did you do with it? And we have to be able to answer. It's not only money, it's years. If a person has years of life, of healthy life, and he can't account for what he did with it, if he spent 25 of them fishing in the back of a boat, I'm not talking about someone who earns his life fishing, um, I, um, then, then, then he's gonna have to explain why he thought a Baruch gave him 25 years of fishing. It, it's something that din v'cheshben is everything Akash Baruch gave us. There are no pachem ketanim because there are Baruch Hu's pachem ketanim. And I think a person needs to answer, I have a life, I have opportunities, I have everything. What am I supposed to do with it? There are no easy answers, and there are no answers that can be snapped and out, and there are no answers for everybody. But at least we can raise the question. That should be part of our, somewhere along the line, have that special time, the special day we take off with no distractions, and we think, we list the things we've done that were questionable, the direction we're going, the, 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 the weak points that are cropping in and, and creeping in and so on. That at least will give us some sense of recalibration to, to keep hold on, on something. Thank you so much to the Rosh Hashiva. Okay. We appreciate the Rosh Hashiva's time. May HaKadosh Baruch will give the Rosh Hashiva the Menuchas and Nefesh to continue all of his wonderful work on behalf of Klai Yisrael in good health for many years to come.